This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where people from our firm share their insights on developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Goldman's research department recently put out a new report, CARS 2025, that's gotten a lot of people talking. The report identifies four themes and seven megatrends that are expected to redefine the car industry and the car of the future. I'm joined today by one of the authors of the report, Stefan Bergstaller, who leads the European Automotive Equity Research Team here at Goldman Sachs. Stefan, welcome to the program. Jake, thank you very much. Stefan, let's start with the title of the report, Cars 2025. Why are the next 10 years so significant for the car industry? Well, in the report, we highlight four key themes and seven powerful megatrends. We believe we have a transformational mark on the global automotive industry over the next decade. But at the core, we see three disruptive changes accelerating simultaneously over this period. One, zero emission mobility, the aggressive tightening of global emission standards. This will drive costly proliferation of alternative powertrain technologies beyond internal combustion engines to hybrids, plug-in hybrids, electric and even fuel cell vehicles. Two, autonomous driving. This is reality already today. The next decade will see the diffusion of autonomous vehicles. This will shape how we utilize our cars and what we do whilst driving. And finally, connectivity. We talk a lot about the Internet of Things, but take autonomous vehicle and add connectivity and you have the Internet of Cars with vehicle-to-vehicle connectivity. This will drive new mobility concepts like sharing, but also will be a significant source of big data beyond the home and the workplace. All of this will not only start to shape mobility of the future, but also shape the global automotive industry of the future. That's why we talk about disruptive new era of the automotive age. Stefan, the hottest topic in this space has to be autonomous cars, self-driving cars. The prospect of self-driving cars has huge potential to affect all kinds of industries, from insurance companies to entertainment to the way cities themselves are developed and constructed. What are some of the different approaches we're seeing to developing self-driving cars? Revolution is really challenging the evolution when it comes to self-driving cars. So technology companies have entered the fray and are... On the side of revolution. On the side of revolution with a clear stated objective commitment to deliver to the market, even in this decade, a self-driving car, an autonomous self-driving car. If you contrast this with the automotive industry, which is used to operate in more gradual pace, so they are committed to gradually introduce autonomous driving features. For instance, automatic braking, lane departure, warning systems. The next will get features which enable the car to handle itself on the highway and then with more complicated urban driving capabilities further down the line. And those kinds of features, the features that we're starting to see in cars today, self-parking and the like, a sort of more incremental approach? Yes, so you have active safety features, as you say, automatic braking, lane departure systems. The next, they will add features which enable cars to drive on and handle themselves on the highway. And further down the line, we'll have more complicated urban driving features and capabilities in the car. So autonomous driving is on its way. Google's timeline is very different to that of the auto industry. That's going to create an interesting tension. That should be not surprising because Google as a technology company is accustomed to operating in probably product cycles in months and the automotive industry thinks of product cycles in seven years and that kind of philosophy and mindset is going to create a very productive tension in my mind but irrespective of timelines and strategies autonomous driving will also face some some key challenges with no human backup 
the machine will have to be able to handle all possible driving scenarios. You still have to navigate the regulatory frameworks in the US between state and federal, but then globally. You'll have to deal with cybersecurity. There is still the challenge for the consumer, for you and me, and the rest of the population to actually accept the value add of autonomous cars and ultimately be willing to pay for them. Stefan, it seems that the push for self-driving cars is coming mostly from the manufacturers, not the consumers. In your research, what response do you see from the consumers when it comes to thinking about self-driving cars? Are people ready to give up driving their own cars? I think people will have time to get ready for the autonomous vehicle. I think the pitch is pretty compelling. Autonomous vehicles offer three big changes to today's automotive experience for the consumer. It's more convenient, it's safer, and it will offer ultimately better mobility. So if we take this in terms, autonomous driving will be more convenient. The world's urban population is expected to grow 50% to 6 billion people by 2050. By 2030, we expect the number of megacities, so cities with more than 10 million inhabitants, to almost get to 48 cities worldwide from currently 28. As a result, traffic congestion is, is only getting worse. Driving will be more complex and challenging. In the US, so you spend, on average, a whole working week in traffic jams. The economic loss is $100,000. That's estimated by official sources. On average, a driver in the developed world spends 300 to 400 hours in the car. That compares to 800 hours surfing the internet and 1,000 hours on the mobile phone. So autonomous driving could completely change how we're going to use this time and experiencing the time in the car. So fast forward to the extreme, Mercedes-Benz earlier the year at the CES in Las Vegas introduced their fully electric luxury in motion concept, the F015 car. And Dr. Zetsche, when he announced it, he made this point which I think sums it up nicely. If you just focus on the technology of autonomous cars, you miss the point. The autonomous car is going to change how we use mobility in our society. And the car is growing, in his words, beyond the role of mere means of transport. It will ultimately become a mobile living space. Second point I want to highlight is autonomous drivers will be safer. You know, every year, half a million people die in traffic accidents. More than 7 million get injured. Seven out of eight traffic accidents are caused by human error. Machines you know, have zero reaction times. They will not be distracted, they will not be tired, they will not be upset-minded. So the autonomous car should significantly... They won't be checking their smartphones. They won't be checking their smartphones. Right. Uh, or they have a separate processor to check the smartphones. Exactly. Um, autonomous driving should make driving so much safer. And finally, mobility options could be much more tailored to our individual needs. The autonomous vehicles of the future, together with connectivity, will yield innovative mobility concepts, uh, particularly in urban centers. These technologies have the potential to revolutionize the way we think about car ownership. And there's a lot of research, and you put it in your report, about the way in which millennials think about car ownership very differently than the older generations. How might that change the way in which we think about owning a car? Well, we think the way we own and use the automobile in the future will change. And the millennials will be a significant driving force in this process. The automobile today is the most underutilized asset we purchase. And on average, we drive 12,000 miles uh, with an average speed of 30 miles per hour. That means 400 hours in the car at less than 5% utilization. Uh, and then you're paying for it to sit in a garage in some At some point as well, yes. <laughs> so in a way, the automobile concept today is a very poor capital allocation decision by households. You mentioned the millennials. A Nielsen survey recently found that more than a third of the 21 to 34-year-olds would actively share products 
or services. And this ratio was even higher in emerging markets. Key, obviously, will be how this attitude is going to change as this group of consumers is growing older. And then finally, the cost of car ownership is rising, particularly in emerging countries or developing countries. Uh, take Shanghai, for instance, a nameplate costs $12,000. Contrast is to California at $69. Uh, put this all together, this should lead to new car sharing concepts. Being a futurist for a moment, you know, new mobility car sharing services are grabbing the headlines at the moment, and I'm a daily user of one of them in London. So if a car was truly able to autonomously drive, I could use my own car, which could drive me to work, I could send it back and then my wife could use it. And if you take it a step further, you know, on the way back it could make the capacity available to somebody else who wants to go just the opposite direction, and I just did. And I could make some, could earn some money. So. Autonomous driving capability, connectivity, I think provides the basis for new mobility concepts, which I'm certain will emerge over the next decade. So climate change, you talked a little bit about zero emission cars. Climate change is obviously playing a significant role in this industry. After years and years of talk about it, you can see the manufacturers really responding on efficiency. The governments are getting much, much tighter. European governments have been tight for a long time, but the U.S. government's raised cafe standards here. What are some of the most promising developments we're seeing on that front? Well, emission regulations poses a huge challenge for the industry, but it's at the same time driving very interesting and really exciting new technologies. So just to frame the context of the challenge, in Europe, the 2015 targets ask the manufacturers to produce the fleet sales on average to have 130 gram of CO2 per kilometer. The 2021 targets will be 95 grams. And some regulators are contemplating to introduce a 2025 target of 72 grams. It's not been confirmed, but they're contemplating. Should this become reality, that means the new fleet vehicles would have to halve their CO2 emissions over the next decade. And given that they operate in product cycles of seven years, that's less than one and a half product cycles. That's a huge challenge. So furthermore, when we think about or look at how regulators are trying to regulate the, the, the move towards zero emission mobility. We look at California. From 2018, they're going to incentivize low emission vehicles with faster refueling times. So they're basically pushing manufacturers to fast charging batteries or hydrogen fuel cells, you know, which have faster refueling times. So all this means that there's more investment necessary for manufacturers into these different and alternative power drain options. And also investment into the infrastructure to support them. Yeah, it depends what you're looking at. So the bulk will still go into the internal combustion engine. There's still 20-30% of efficiency gains possible. It is the most amazing development what has happened there over the last 10 years. But now we're focusing on thermal efficiencies, um, direct fuel injection, turbo downsizing, the cylinder management. So that, that is the core of the development. And then you add hybridization, electrification. Here it's still about the cost of the battery and it's still about the range of the battery. And then, as, as you point out, it's alternative fuels. Right? Here, mostly we talk about hydrogen fuels, and there the refueling infrastructure is a stumbling block which has to overcome. So as a result, we see a proliferation of powertrain technologies beyond that of the traditional internal combustion engine. And that should drive, in my opinion, the industry to pursue scale to offer these alternative powertrains at a competitive cost point. So there's two scenarios possible. Either we see a broader collaboration amongst manufacturers and powertrains, which is 40% of the value add, 40 to 50% of the value add of the industry, or you see industry consolidation. 
Stefan, in the report, you identify two major factors that are keeping adoption rates down for the most efficient vehicles, hybrids, plug-ins, fuel cell cars. And those factors are cost and range. Cars are generally much more expensive and can't go as far as traditionally powered vehicles. What are the manufacturers doing to address those issues? And can we expect to see substantial progress here? We believe we should anticipate substantial progress in, in all these areas, over, particularly over the next decade. At the end, these technologies are still in their infancies, and there is still much scope for improvement. So for battery technology, cost and range are the issue. For example, we believe that the cost of battery technology will halve over the next decade. This doesn't mean that electric vehicles' prices will fall dramatically. Initially, we expect manufacturers to extend vehicle ranges, which will make them more usable and broaden their appeal to the consumer. But we believe truly mass-market electric vehicles with a 500-kilometer range and a battery weight around 80 kilograms, versus today 200 to 300 kilograms, will not become a reality until around 2030. So let's talk about the big new markets for cars. The biggest emerging car markets are China, India, countries that are going to be at the center of the car market for the next decades. What's driving the growth there and what's unique about those markets that could change the way cars are designed? Fundamentally, we believe people, regardless where they are, want mobility. And what we observe that, particularly in emerging markets, uh, when people's wealth levels rise above a certain level, mobility starts to accelerate. These levels are typically defined of GDP per capita around $10,000 to $20,000. So at these wealth levels, motorization and car ownership gains real momentum. So we forecast the global auto sales to increase from $80 million in 2015 to $100 million in 2020 and $120 million in 2025, driven largely by the developing markets. And if we just pick two, China and India, which, as you say, are in the center of this development, because most of the growth will be in emerging markets, in the moment, China is in the news about the growth rates are slowing, but it doesn't really distract us from the underlying potential of this market. So the next decade, we believe this market will grow on average 5% per annum. India and is often looked at as the next China. So over the last decade, China's market quintupled in size. We don't think India will be able to replicate this, but still, India is going to double to seven, more than 7.5 million cars uh, by 2025, making it the third largest car market in the world. And as you say, this will drive different technology packages in order to access this growth potential. In India, you probably need smaller cars, small internal combustion engines, cleaner fuels such as natural gas or so-called microhybrids. In China, there we're already seeing stringent ownership management of cars. And you can see that in an attempt to stem pollution and congestion, that car sharing concepts could become more prevalent, particularly in these megacities in China. Stefan, you talked a little bit about safety and the numbers here are just staggering. 500,000 people a year dying in car accidents and injuries to nearly 7 million people. Governments are concerned about this, and rightly so. How are manufacturers going to approach the safety needs of the 21st century, especially since, historically at least, a safer car has been a bigger, heavier, less fuel-efficient one? Well, safety adds costs and weight. Safer cars are heavier cars, by definition. And in an era towards zero emission mobility, that's a challenge. 
So in the past, we focused on passive safety, i.e. protect the passengers once an accident has actually happened. And so we added sidebars, airbags, reinforced the cabin, that all added weight. Weight, yeah, less fuel efficient. And now we're focusing more on active safety, utilizing technology to anticipate the risk of an accident and actually prevent the accident. You talked about lane departure warning systems or lane keeping assistance, automatic braking, distant control, all sort of sensory aspects of driving a car. But that only adds more weight to a car. And to counter that, we believe we're going to see an increased usage of lightweight materials. So high tensile steel, aluminium, and even carbon fiber is going to find application in the car industry to lower the weight, to counter the increase of weight for the safety aspect and reduce it to meet or help meet the CO2 targets. So the tech companies are looking at a car that's completely fully autonomous, whereas the traditional car makers are looking at something that gradually gets us used to the idea of giving up the wheel. Technology companies operate in product cycles probably measured in months. The car industry operates in a product cycle measured in years. And sort of that mindset is already giving an explanation about the different ambition levels these two different companies show today. But also when you look at the balance sheets of the technology companies, they're much better endowed. And so they can actually take that risk that it takes to go right to the technological frontier. A car company has to still uh, maintain an existing business in an industry with very little returns on cost of capital and therefore is more conducive to this gradual approach. And it fits with their traditional product cycle of adding a feature here, adding a feature there, rather than presenting a fully revolutionized product. Yeah, that's why most people think that the next five years it's all about more fuel-efficient cars to achieve these targets, and then autonomous features will be the next product cycle where we really see the industry preparing these cars for a, a more autonomous world. So one thing your report talks about is the capturing of all this data from the cars and the way in which connected cars could generate changes in other industries. What are the sectors that could be the most impacted by the changes we've seen in how data is collected from cars and how they're moving and how they're performing? Just to step back, I think that the self-driving car will drive the biggest change. So we talked about improving utilization, that's one aspect. If we know where we're going and what the traffic situation is, we could see much more efficient traffic flow management that could help manage congestion in cities. You could see how we could tax people based on how they use the roads much more efficiently and maybe more fairly. Infotainment is a related opportunity. So given that we're not driving to a car anymore, but we still are in, as Dr. Zetcher said, the living space, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to surf the internet? Is there an opportunity there? Are we going to consume services in a different way? And the most profound impact could be on the insurance industry. So if the autonomous vehicle makes no errors and causes no traffic accidents, the insurance premium should come down. Or maybe the insurance business is going to change. Right? Remember, a third of most insurance revenues or premiums generated in the developed world come from automotive insurance. So that maybe we go from you know, insuring the driver to indemnifying the manufacturer. You've covered the automotive industry for a long time now, and it's been a really watershed period recently. What surprised you the most? The industry's ability to change and adapt is actually the most surprising. When you go back in the middle of last decade, the automotive industry struggled with rising raw material prices. In Europe, we had a strong euro, which 
made exports less profitable. The US was sitting on overcapacity and on huge losses. We had prospects of punitive CO2 targets being introduced across the world. And this all against the backdrop of very low profitability. Fast forward eight years, volumes have increased to 80 million from 60 million. The profit pool has almost doubled to $120 billion from $64 billion. And margins are at 6.2% on average versus 4.4 in 2007. So the automotive industry is a tough industry. The industry has to deliver a lot to us, the consumer, and we tend to not be willing to pay for it. The industry is not very good in anticipating change, but the industry has a proven track record in actually adapting to change with obviously a time lag. So I don't expect this capability to change, but the trends we've just been discussing over the last 30 minutes will increase the challenge of leaderships of these companies beyond just a mere understanding of how to produce and sell a good car. So Stefan, last question. Take us forward to 2025. What does the world fleet of cars look like? We've got to be very careful when we talk the fleet versus new car sales, because every year we are adding new cars with new features and there is a slower penetration process. But if we just talk about what new car sales look like, I think they will be more fuel efficient. We still rely heavily on the internal combustion engine. We believe 75%. There will be more electric powered in systems being available, you know, around about 25%. And we would have seen the broad introduction of plug-in hybrid systems. The fleet in 2025 should be ready for autonomous driving, particularly in the premium segment, uh, with a broader penetration most likely occurring beyond 2025. And then finally, the cars in 2025 will be connected to the internet and starting to wave the internet of cars. Stefan, thank you very much. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. I'm Jake Seward. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on July 21st, 2015. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.